Hey, I'm Chanel. I'm Anita. And I'm Anne-Marie. And we're the girls of Room 3228. Yeah, so today I'm super excited. We have some amazing guests here. Um, they're actually from this association called Global Girlhood. Um, and we know one already, which is our friend Radhika. Um, and we also have the lovely Grace here as well. So I'll let them introduce themselves real quick. I'll pass it over to you, Rad. Hey everyone, my name is Radhika. I'm an Indian American product owner, digital strategy consultant, and the outreach director for Global Girlhood. Um, I just graduated from Baruch, um, and I'm really, really excited to be on this podcast for Women's History Month. Um, I'll pass it off to Grace. Hi everyone, thank you for sharing this space with us today. My name is Grace, I use she, her pronouns today. I am a student in New York City, and I am also passionate about LGBTQ plus advocacy work. I am the director of operations with Global Girlhood and I run my own radio show on Fridays called Band-Aid, which goes into systemic problems or challenges and how society or communities slap on makeshift solutions to those systemic quote unquote wounds. It's called Band-Aid and I'm so excited to be here with you all today. Oh, amazing. Uh, so yes, so Global Girlhood is a global community that uses storytelling to revolutionize representation in media, education, and leadership. Uh, so yeah, before we actually jump into the episode itself, uh, we usually started off with um, at least one question just to get to know each other a little bit better. Uh, so I'm gonna share the question first with Grace and then Rad and then Emery and Anita will also answer it. So the question is, what is one thing you are currently overthinking right now? Yeah, we jump right into it. So unpack whatever baggage you got. <laughs> Honestly, if I'm being honest, I'm probably yes, overthinking I'm... my bio. <laughs> because I'm thinking about what I left out. But I guess bios can never really summarize or encapsulate a whole person. Mm -hmm. I guess if I can add to it, I will. <laughs> But two of the things I want to add is that I love photography. I absolutely love portrait making and the mm -hmm. process of capturing people's emotions and helping them capture their own narratives. And I'm also passionate about health equity. I'm an EMT in New Jersey. So that's something I'm passionate mm -hmm. about. But that's probably what I was just overthinking. <laughs> in terms of overthinking more largely, um, mm -hmm. Probably just the questions I probably explore on my radio show, which mm. we'll probably explore some of them today. I am honestly overthinking my career path right now. Um, so I love government. I think I got introduced to like the whole government shenanigans through student government at Baruch. Um, I'm also overthinking like, you know, how I want to play a role in uh, for-profit companies and non-profit non companies so um, but then also dabbling with do I want to have my own consulting firm so mm -hmm. I've just been thinking a lot lately and also a lot about my responsibilities and what I'm spending my time on oh wow yeah <laughs> we clearly have two leading ladies with us today and I think I'm really grateful that we're able to interview both of you during Women Hist Women's History Month because a lot of what you're touching on has to do with like woman power and woman in leading roles so that's yeah. definitely, I think what you mentioned, Grace, the overthinking about my bio, something that's always on my mind. Like as soon as I've introduced myself, I immediately want to say like 10 other things. <laughs> um, 
So I need to like prepare a bio that I just use for everything. So I never leave anything out. Um, but I think something else I'm overthinking is my plans for the summer, honestly. Like I just wanna have a good summer because I feel like this past two years with COVID, it's just been so emotionally draining. And obviously I wanna do stuff that still remains safe and is like aware of what's going on in the world, but I still wanna like live differently than I was living last summer. So that's something I'm like overthinking like crazy. For me, I mean, I'm always overthinking everything. So I don't even know where to begin with this question as I'm sure the listeners know. Um, I think right now I'm most overthinking just like my personal growth um, and who I want to develop into and how I can get there. I also have been overthinking like what types of hobbies I want to start adopting because in college Mm -hmm. I didn't and most of my life I didn't have that many hobbies I'd say because like school was my priority and so lately now without school I wanted to pick up some other things that I enjoy maybe like video editing, um, designing, stuff like that, just anything creative. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm overthinking. So, so I started doing uh, shadow work. Um, so I think just thinking more about like, what are some toxic traits I may have? What are some fears that are holding me back from like reaching my full potential? Um, so really trying to dig deeper into like another side of myself, which I'm excited for, really scared for, but I definitely feel like there'll be growth there. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah so thank you so much for answering that question and for us getting to know you a little bit more we're going to go into like our break what I'd love to ask our beautiful and amazing guests is do you consider yourself to be a feminist and if so what does feminism mean to you I feel like that word is loaded (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um, for me I would consider myself a feminist but my definition of feminist is just equal opportunity um, Mm -hmm. or equal equity as well right so um I I say like I'm advocating for others when I'm trying to create space for others so uh one of the quotes that always like drives me is you know it's not you versus me it's you and me and it's also not oh there's a space for me at the table you know I'm just gonna go and build myself another fucking table (laughs) so um I think those are like some of the driving passions for me Um, and it shows up in my life through my work through global girlhood where it's like you know we're trying to empower others and also describe how you know someone's story of empowerment someone's story in general is going to be very different depending on where you're coming from and where you live Um, but that's what we're trying to really highlight that again like you know a a person that's a CEO in New York they're not going to have the same story as you know a girl that's in Jaipur India so really just trying to highlight that everyone's differences make you know us unique um, but we're all fighting and we're all trying to create that equal opportunity in different ways. I definitely consider myself a feminist. The I don't think I could truly ever encapsulate what feminism means to me in this you know minute or minute too long response but I would definitely say feminism guides how I live day to day and I truly believe that in terms of feminism and intersectional feminism. I know that's often used as a buzzword nowadays, but I truly, truly believe that when black trans women are liberated, all the systems of oppression come crumbling down. And so I will fight for my black trans uh, sisters and siblings um, in solidarity, but also in pursuit of liberation, because I really believe that that is what that is what feminism looks like to me. It's being in solidarity with my siblings and also recognizing that like 
like you said, equitable, equal opportunities for everyone and fighting those systems of oppression and looking through a very feminist worldview. Um, and also recognizing that, I love this one quote, it's from um, Feminism for the 99% of Manifesto. Mm -hmm. And they talk about, we have no interest, like this is, I think, like I'm trying to quote them, but we have no interest in breaking the glass ceiling while leaving the vast majority to clean up the shards. Um, mm -hmm. Far from celebrating when CEOs who occupy corner offices, we want to get rid of CEOs and corner offices. And just making sure that, you know, feminism to me is working toward that future is, you know, analyzing my own identities and trying to dismantle the own privilege within my life and mm -hmm. in solidarity with people genuinely and um, yeah, fighting, fighting for gender equity. That's what, I know that's kind of a long response, like I said, I could never encapsulate it, but that's what feminism means to me. And that's the future. Although I may not see in my lifetime, that's the future I want. Yeah. No, I think you touched on a lot of good points. I think you both do. And while you were speaking, it kind of reminded me of in intersectional feminism. And when I found out about that, my perspective and understanding of feminism completely changed because I realized that it has so much more to do than just my experience as a woman. It has to do with women who are not accepted as women, like you're saying, transgender community or, um, you know, what, whatever individual it is, like there's a lot of ways that people identify as feminists and sometimes we fail to include other groups um, within the struggle. So I think it's really important that um, that remains as part of the definition of it. Um, and just like piggyback on that, have you guys ever questioned your responsibilities as feminists? And if so, how? I was just gonna say that is an amazing question. You can go first <laughs> if you want to. Yeah, no, something that Grace and I actually were, were talking about this a few days ago, um, it was about how we're like when we are interviewing folks at Global Girlhood, right? And we're trying to share their story, um, it's being very cognizant of like what we're trying to share um, mm -hmm. in their story. So I remember I did, um, I interviewed someone, someone fantastic, um, a few, she was like, I think my first um, interview me um, two years ago with Global Girlhood. Um, and I think um, I had reached out to her because she is a transgender woman, right? And I think I, in the, in the moment, I really tried to ask more questions about her journey and how she got there. Um, the thing is like, I was, I felt like I was limiting my conversation and my story to just that piece of her. Um, and I didn't really expand on it beyond that. And what I mean by that is I tried to, like in the moment I didn't realize I was just like, you know, equating her journey and who she is just to that portion of her life. And I think like lately I've been realizing, oh, okay, you know, there's a lot of aspects to people's lives. You know, they're not only just categorize themselves as transgender but they're also like a mom they're also a sister and so being very cognizant of that when we're sharing stories um and that's when I was really like you know questioning myself as a feminist because I'm like okay am I really sharing like the right story right am I am I also just like you know putting people in buckets when I'm interviewing and asking them these questions so I have to really take a look back and like be really cognizant of you know what I'm asking people when I'm talking to them and who I'm trying to like you know quote unquote define them as for sure <laughs> For sure, for sure. I I definitely think, like I said, um, examining my, my privilege and my background and working to dismantle those aspects of privilege and advantage in my life. Um, I am a white woman, I'm hearing, I'm able-bodied and mm -hmm. I have access to a college education and I do not take those things lightly in a society that 
advantages or privileges those things. And so I think definitely my perspective on feminism has definitely shifted and changed. I think that before when, you know, years ago, I definitely had more of a white feminism view on the world, not even knowing it. And I think just challenging the way I look at the world. And like I said, looking through it through a very kind of, um, I'm very inspired by the Combahee River Collective. And so looking at it through, you know, being in solidarity with people in pursuit of breaking down systems of oppression, um, because it is, you know, also my responsibility to make sure that my siblings are liberated and free. And so that, that my, like I said, my responsibilities as a feminist, how I see myself in, you know, this feminist worldview has most certainly changed and developed as I've met more people, as I've joined more community spaces, as I've been in, you know, community with Radhika and the amazing, amazing women and people I work at, um, work, work with at Global Girlhood. So that's what I would say. Um, I would love to hear what you all think too. <laughs> A time where I question my responsibilities is I think when a lot of what's going on in the world transformed to social media and there's a lot of content that people are constantly sharing about how to be an activist and how to be a part of the movement I think the times that I've questioned is like how am I doing things to actually create change like am I just reposting something am I just liking something to make myself appear as a progressive individual or am I actually reading these articles understanding the issues and understanding how I contribute to the issues I think that for me has really made me question what the definition of feminism means to me separate from other women and separate from the movement entirely because I think like you're both saying the way that we interact with feminism and the world is so different based on our experiences so I've really taken some time to think about how I identify myself as a woman and how I want to present myself to the world as well as respond to the world itself. Um, and then moving from that, how I want to be a better ally for other women who, like you said, Grace, Grace don't have the same as advantages that we do. Like me, even being a black woman, there are things that I'm privileged over other women. Like I was born um, into the gender that I present myself as. So that itself is, a, is an advantage. I am able-bodied. I can hear, you know, I have all these advantages to myself. I went to college. And so just taking ownership of those things like you're saying, and then using the skills that I have to, to able other individuals who don't have those privileges. Mm. So I think the main key for me is just like being, taking responsibility for the, the faults that I have and the way that I've taken away from the movement. Yeah, I would say the same. Um, I definitely think when it comes to like trans women, I haven't been as, I guess as understanding um, with like some of the struggles that they had. I remember like maybe like a few years ago, there was this whole thing about the 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 female sign on the period pads. And I know it was like there was a big uproar. A lot of people wanted them to take that symbol off of the of the pads. And I was just so confused. I was like, I don't get I don't I just don't understand why. Like like why is it such a big thing? And I think like sometimes like you have to take a step back and really look at things and be like, okay, like, why is this troubling you so much? Like, why do you even care so much? Um, so like things like that, there's, there's, definitely, there's definitely moments still where things will come across and I'm just like, I don't understand, like, why is it this way? And I think sometimes it's like, you don't have to understand, like, it's, it's just the way it is. Like, like, this is how a person feels, they feel hurt by it. And that's what you have to understand. It, like, like I don't have to question them why they feel this type of way or anything like 
it's just understanding that it doesn't have to do with me and I still should still support this person and a fellow woman no matter how I don't know how out of like the ordinary it is to me it's not about just my experience but there's experiences that go beyond me um so I think that's been a part where I definitely question my responsibility to feminism and another part of that is that like I think sometimes we focus so much on just like the women part and the female part of it but also like men are also part of this discussion as well like making sure that men know that they're able to cry and able to show their feminine side and being able to show um sensitivity like this really plays a big part in how we raise young boys and especially now talking about rape culture like that's all a part of it um so also making sure that like when i speak to like my young cousins like i'm able to make sure that they understand like they can be sensitive they can cry and um they don't have to be they don't have to be a macho man so things like that also fit into like um this idea of like what feminism is and how us as women and men have to work together to really dismantle these ideas that we put out there so yeah definitely i'd say to piggyback on what chanel said especially for women and just people who tend to identify as feminists there's a lot of stereotyping um that goes in regards to like calling yourself a feminist and i think sometimes people are afraid to do it and so i think that's something that i and like a lot of other people have been really considered of and aware when they're trying to like label themselves as um these things because you want to make sure that yeah, some people don't understand that you can be a feminist but that doesn't mean you're anti-men right you can be a mm -hmm. feminist it doesn't mean that you don't support other people um and so as a result i think it's just really important to be cognizant of that and be aware that um just because you support a group of people that need these advantages need to be supported in this way it doesn't mean that you're against all others mm -hmm. yeah okay so oh yeah go ahead grace no no, no. go ahead <laughs> okay, um i kind of wanted to go back to what i said um mm -hmm. i recently learned that um the word i know i said able-bodied but i recently learned that non-disabled is the correct um term so i just wanted to say I don't know. Um, yeah. Establish that for myself because I know I just said the the opposite word, but. Yeah. But I think that's a part of it, though. Like with the whole movement, it's like constantly taking accountability for even the moments where you don't intentionally yeah. slip up. Yeah, and that's sure. part of what it's becoming. It's like being so conscious of and acknowledging, like, yeah, you'll make mistakes and be willing to learn how to fix that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Snaps to it. Snaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know I mess up all the time and sometimes you just don't know like sometimes you're just like really just ignorant to some of the like the words that are mentioned nowadays and how people also um, identify themselves and I know like I know I misgender people all the time and I'm always like if this happens like let me know like the thing is that like sometimes you need something repetitively happen to you for you to understand like okay like I need to make sure that this is like in my conscious now. So like stuff like that is so important. And what I really appreciate you saying too is like taking it upon yourself to mm -hmm. um, to like learn and correct, you know, because we're all going to um, make mistakes. We're, yeah. we're human in that way. That's our common experience. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just being aware of, you know, who we are and what we're asking of people. And yeah, just trying to, be more inclusive and thoughtful and responsive. Yeah. Based on this information, I'm really curious to hear um, when were each of you introduced to feminism? When was this concept first something that you were actively thinking about? 
for me, um, it was introduced in my 10th or 11th grade computer science class in high school. Um, and I was the only, there was like four or five females in a class of like 120. <laughs> and um, I was just like, whoa, like, what is this? Because growing up, my dad never like let me feel like, oh, like there's really not a lot of <clears throat> inclusivity in regards to like, you know, um, gender diversity in, um, just in like a, you know, in a STEM career. So it never really, you know, I never pondered about that. But then, you know, in that class, I was like, what the hell? Like, wow, there's, I just don't feel like I fit in right now. And it's like, you know, how do I create the space for other people um, mm -hmm. and also, you know, advocate for myself, um, right? And like, I, I don't like to ask a lot of questions. Um, I just tend to like take things in, in first and then I ask. So it's like, I'm not stupid, right? Like I'm not like, because I'm not vocalizing it doesn't mean I'm not understanding it. So it's like, how do I really like make myself fit in here while also just, you know, um, accepting the way that I just work around things and I do um, do things. So I think that's when I was really introduced to it. And I didn't really um, advocate for myself um, until mm -hmm. I guess like the beginning of college, really. I, I've never really reflected on it, honestly. So I can't pinpoint a certain time. But I would definitely say I, I grew up with, my mom was an elementary school educator. And so I definitely feel that she instilled in me, I don't know, the desire to advocate for myself and mm -hmm. to learn from times that I've messed up. And I guess I, I didn't know the phrasing for this when I was young, but be in solidarity with others, you know, stick up for others. But um, you know, not expect, you know, return in terms of, um, of that. But I grew up, I'm one of four kids, um, and I have a younger sister. And I definitely think we have this sisterhood that fostered, fostered learning with each other. And I mm -hmm. learned so much with and from her. She's, she's four years younger than me, but it amazes me every day how, um, how just how we have so much to learn between different generations, right? So I can learn so much from my my grandmothers and my mother and my sister, and we may not share the same generation, but there's so much shared experience between us. Mm. And I, I now go to a historically women's college. And so I spend a lot of time with people who identify with the label woman or are feminists um, and or they they don't identify with the label woman but it is a historically women's college and I definitely think that although like my school has so much to work on I definitely feel that it has furthered the way I think about feminism and definitely I don't know definitely made me go on this whole exponential kind of like growth period with like how I view myself as a feminist and navigate this world. Mm. I can't pinpoint a certain moment or time, to be honest. Yeah, It's definitely difficult, but I think, especially for me growing up, I was always very conscious of my womanhood. And so I can't necessarily say when I became a feminist, but I can say, I know that I always felt like I was judged for being emotional, for not being as rational, because women are known to be emotional, right? And so I think, as I grew up, I realized that some of the things that make me so special are aspects of um, what I would consider to be being a woman, like being able to be around people, having emotional intelligence, being able to connect with others in that way. And so I think 
even just the outcomes of, of thinking back on your journey as a woman is really important. That made me think of a story, actually, Anne-Marie. Um, but growing up, I always kind of challenged spaces that only had cis men in it. So when I was in kindergarten, the wrestling team was all boys <laughs> and men. And I said, I'm going to wrestle. And I was the first girl <laughs> on the team. <laughs> And then in middle school, there was a floor hockey league and they were all cis men. And I said, I'm going to play floor hockey. And so I definitely think it's always resonated with me being like, hey, why is this space this way? Uh And, you know, you should open up this space and to people who may want to participate. So I don't know that it made me think of that. No, no, I love that so much. That's really great. I remember when I was in like maybe kindergarten or like middle school and where all the boys would play kickball like during our lunch break and the girls would never play um and there'd be like one or two but really it was it was all guys I remember I always wanted to play and I was always told I couldn't but I kept trying and like I was not very good but I kept trying and like trying to get in the game so I love that (laughs) yeah oh I would say I was kind of similar I was like a tomboy um, and I had like a lot of guy uh, cousins. So I always wanted to be with the guys at one point. Um, then after a while, I think, I don't know, I guess society got to me and I wanted to be a girly girl. I wanted to wear the dresses and all of that stuff. Um, but also like the idea of feminism always kind of like stuck in the back of my mind. But I don't think it really resonated with me until college. And I think because I was also like in STEM, um, being in classes where it was just mostly guys, and like I struggled I struggled a lot and I felt like the guys like they all stuck together like they were able to have the study groups together and they were able to like share their homework and stuff and I just didn't feel comfortable in those spaces I didn't feel comfortable like hanging with the guys and talking code and I think like really like failing some of my classes because I didn't feel like I had a support system really made me understand how like disadvantaged I was because I didn't fit in a particular space because I was a woman. Um, so I think like once like after I had to retake the class, um, we there was like maybe one or two other girls in the class and we really had to like stick together to like pass the class and um, really encourage each other to keep on going. So even like little things like that, I think makes it makes the experience like you you definitely feel the experience of like what it like the difference of being a woman is, especially in these male dominated um, areas. Yeah, I think for me, I was introduced to feminism the year that um, that TED Talk with Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie came out, that we should all be mm. feminists. Um, and I, I, what grade were we in in 2017? Because that's when it came out. I think oh, we were in like, 11th grade or I was in 11th grade or something. But I saw that interview and like two things. I fell in love with her because I think she's incredible and I love the way that she writes. But then the second part, I think Beyonce then made a song with like a clip from her um, her TED Talk referencing um, us being feminists. And like, from that point on, I was like, so invested in understanding what being a feminist was and how I could become one. Mm -hmm. And I I would say at the beginning, I approached it in the wrong angle. I approached it in like almost, I hate to say it, but like almost a man-hating angle. Um, But then as I started to learn more and more about what it was and like what it meant for women specifically in society in general, I started taking a new stance. So my understanding of feminism then is completely different from what it is now. But I think that was like the tip off for me. It was like listening to really powerful women talk about 
owning owning your own thing or like being your own individual separate from like you're saying Chanel the negative stigmas that society has put onto us mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for sharing and now talking about um pretty much how we got into feminism and even our understanding of it I want to kind of know more about global girlhood and like how did it become what it is today like also like how did y'all get um involved with the organization too Radhika and I were here from the very beginning of when global girlhood was a thought a thought child a thought baby yeah. <laughs> and it originally so the idea sparked from Pranjal Jane who is the founder and executive director of global girlhood and i don't want to speak to her own experience but mm-hmm. basically she saw women and gender expansive people in her own communities and she thought i want them to have a platform to share their stories and for those stories to be told by them and for them and so i met pranjal in i think april or may of 2019 and we connected and i joined what was then kind of a passion project i mean it still probably is a passion project but the whole point of global growhood it launched in december 2019 we had mm-hmm. a beautiful launch event um that ronica helped plan and um it was a lot of fun there were storytelling circles and we had i think some kind of presentation and it was a great night of connecting and sharing space and the whole point of global growhood we've kind of like shifted through different phases of um what we spend our time doing for example do, do we do more educational posts do we do more events now obviously they would be online with the pandemic but the whole foundation of it is the journalists and connectivity contributors network. And so essentially journalists go into their own communities whether that be identity based or geographical based communities and they interview women and gender expansive people in their own communities and a connectivity contributor who does not share that same community reacts to the interview. So they'll react through, you know, usually writing but also things like song or art or all those things can be art though. So, I don't know if you want to add anything. Um, Veronica. Yeah, no, that's basically like a great sum up of like what global girlhood is. Um, we're really trying to create and foster that intergenerational intercultural dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this pandemic really made us you know, use our platform even more for better or for worse, right? It helps us really understand like, wow, like we don't have to be just limited to this, you know, New York City location, you know, to connect with people and understand their struggle. Like this allowed us to really um, expand our borders um, physically and virtually as well. Um, and I got started with Global Girlhood as well, right when it was like a thought baby. Um, it was back in June, 2019, I believe, yeah. Um, so I was just about to start my senior year of college and um, I actually met Pranjo because this is her old apartment, actually. Um, our parents, uh, her dad and my dad are like, they both work together or like they both have like their own jewelry firms or whatever in the city. Um, so they knew each other uh, and we were looking to like move into a two bedroom. So yeah, basically this was like Pranjo's old room and that's how I met her. Um, but I had on Instagram, you know, she moved to Long Island. So I didn't really ever like talk to her. 
Um, but she saw that I was, you know, pretty active with student government on campus. And so she just reached out. She was like, hey, like, let's catch up after like 10 years of like really no, not interacting at all. Yeah. And we met up for, you know, Thai food in the city. And she talked about this idea of global girlhood. Um, and I was like, yes, you know, I love this because I was, again, you know, I was about to start my senior year and I wanted to figure out ways I can still be involved with the community and help out uh, besides just, you know, through college. So I was really thinking like long-term, like, you know, what do I want to be helping out with after I'm done with college? Um, and how do I want to give back to the community and, you know, help other um, women and uh, folks identify as women and gender expensive folks, you know, that voice um, in, this, in the system. Yeah, mm. so that was how I got started. <laughs> That's incredible. That's yeah. real, that's so so interesting because I I truly never knew like where what it was rooted in or like how you both ended up. So it's so interesting to see how different your stories are, and it, it's so successful. And that's kind of like leading into the next thing that we wanted to know is like, did you both imagine it becoming what it beca- became? First of all, I want to say how much I've learned <laughs> from Veronica. I've learned so so much, um, mm-hmm. and I'm so grateful that I met her and that I'm able to work with her and learn with her. Um, but I feel, you want to go first? <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, yes. Sorry, the, what was the original question? <laughs> Did you envision it becoming as successful as it is now? Oh my or God, just ending yeah. up where it is in the place that it is now, yeah. Yeah, no, like Grace had mentioned this before, right? Like we, like the idea of global girlhood and what it means has changed so much. So definitely did not imagine this when I like, you know, came on board. Um, I... I didn't really know what to imagine. I was just like, you know, this is just a thought right now. Let's, you know, let's just go with it. Let's see what we can actually do and what we can, you know, the impact that we can create. But now um, what I really love seeing is like, you know, there's random people that was like, hey, like you're part of Global Girlhood. And it's like, wow, like I've kind of known as that sometimes. And it's, it's really cool to be, um, you know, just be known as like part of this, you know, larger community. Um, some of the folks that really helped me understand my like mental, like understand that, you know, my self-care is not only just my physical wellness, have, uh, I, I learned a lot about them through the global girlhood community. And I, you know, I found out a lot about this through the community. So um, yeah, no, I did not imagine it here. Um, I don't know where we're gonna go. I'm just excited. I'm like really just going with the, going with the flow, you know? <laughs> I'm so grateful. I because we have been through a learning process together, and I have learned so much mm-hmm. <laughs> with Radhika. Um, but we started off, you know, with four four of what we call leaders now. So it was originally Kirtana, Pranjal, Radhika, and me, and we basically built the foundation for a couple months, probably from June until December 2019, and then we launched. So we maybe launched with a couple hundred followers mm-hmm. and now our community has several thousand people on social media and we're aiming to provide people with a platform to share their own stories and connect people. And I think Global Girlhood has just had so many different experiences or kind of offshoots of our original mission and you know we're we're still kind of working with our with our mission and who we are and what we do but it all goes back to the whole journalists and connectivity contributors network and community but we've just done so much um you know I definitely did not anticipate the COVID-19 pandemic being what it what we now know it to be and so I experienced this pandemic with this team right and we tried to make the community 
a space where people can still learn and find joy and feel their emotions and share their stories in a safer way um, with this pandemic. But I think we're definitely building community and I would have never anticipated that our community would look like this, but mm -hmm. I'm grateful I have it and that I'm a part of it. So that's what I would say. Yeah, and if you don't follow them on Instagram, I highly re recommend, it's a shameless plug, <laughs> at globalgirlhood.com. They have an amazing timeline. And everything that they said is like, it's replicated in the content that they share with their followers. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so I'm curious, who do each of you look up to for inspiration or mentorship? In the, on the team? That too. Or <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think that I have learned so much from every person on the team. We currently have, I think we currently have 12 leaders mm -hmm. and I have met some of the most incredible people through this team and they have definitely molded the way I, I see the world. But something I really appreciate is that at the end of every call, we, we give each other appreciations. And I think that just speaks to I don't know if I can pinpoint a certain person on the team because I've learned so much and so many different things from people, but there just is so much to learn from people mm -hmm. and appreciating them and their presence. And that's something I've definitely learned from this experience and being a part of Global Girlhood is, yeah, I would say there's something to learn from every person in the community and appreciating that. So I don't know if you have a more exact person. <laughs> well, I would say um, I look a lot up to Grace because she's very, very specific with, like she's our verbiage God. Like right there, she um, will ensure that, you know, we're using like the right terminology. And because of like, I, I want to like, you know, kudos to you, Grace, because I feel like, I mean, I mean not again, it's, sorry. It's not your job to, of course, like teach anyone this, right? But um, you helped me really understand and be cognizant of the words I use. Um, and I know that, especially as a digital platform, we have to be very, very careful with the words that we're saying um, and the words that we're using and how we're, you know, portraying people. Because again, like words can be taken out of context. So mm -hmm. um, I think that's like something that I've learned specifically from you. Uh, but to, again, echo, um, you know, Grace's point, there's something to learn from everyone. Um, the team really teaches us, you know, if we need a mental health break, we take it. We have, you know, we've been implementing a lot of these, you know, 1.5 check-ins for every every quarter. So we're learning a lot uh, how to build out a structure that, you know, allows um, folks anywhere in the world to like work with us. Um, being, you know, we're trying to be very, very inclusive um, and just create, you know, a foster a community that uplifts each other. Just a little follow-up question, if it's okay for me to ask, how does the work that you guys do, how does it change from like, what it was before COVID and how it is now. So you're talking about that you work with people all over the world. Um, how has your interactions with people and each other shifted as a result of not being able to do things in person anymore? If it has at all, I mean, not. <laughs> really the one event we had was our launch event in person and Radhika actually planned an amazing team bonding event in the city. Do you remember that event? It was in early 2020. And we probably would have done more things like that if 
we didn't have the precautions we currently have. Mm -hmm. But it definitely, we definitely shifted to a more online world. We coordinated FaceTime and friends, partners where people met another person and had a friendly conversation with them, or at least I hope a friendly conversation with them for an hour. And our team has also gotten to be more global, which is so important. So we have people in opposite time zones now on our leadership team. And it's been interesting to navigate that because we have, in addition, so I don't know if this provides too much information, but our leadership team has a couple different verticals. So I'm on the operations vertical, Radhika's on the outreach vertical, we have a social vertical, we have an executive vertical, and we have, am I missing something? An editorial, editorial. vertical, thank you. But in addition to the work and meetings we have within those individual verticals, we also have things like team calls. And it's been interesting because we now rotate the times of our team calls, depending on if it's an odd or even month, to accommodate all the time zones that we're working with. And so that has definitely changed with this pandemic. But I'm really grateful we've gotten to be a more global team. I think that is so important um, and needed for what we're doing. Mm. But that's how I would say our work has changed. I'd also say um, to add on to that, um, the work, like what we're putting out has also changed a lot. So before it was, um, we just had a few folks like, you know, creating content um, on the team. And so now we're actually making it more of a collaborative effort. Um, and I think that's really, really helpful because, you know, everyone should have like a say in like, you know, what kind of content we're producing. And also um, we've just been thinking a lot about what kind of content we really want to put out there. So before, um, we had a lot of, we had some interviews, uh, we had some um, educational content up, but now we're also trying to, you know, dabble with other types of mediums, so like reels. So like, I guess like in that sense, you know, trying to um, figure out ways to create content that's digestible for our community. Mm. Um, but besides that, just as a whole, not just global growth, but I think we've learned a lot about setting boundaries and setting mm -hmm. boundaries, like within just like, you know, this international community that we have. So um, that's been super, super helpful because I know like we're all near our computers now, um, but that doesn't make, that doesn't mean that we're always accessible, right? So mm -hmm. that has, some, that's something that has been like really, um, it's penetrated in like different areas of my life as well. Like even at work, it's just setting those boundaries for myself. Yeah. Uh, so I also want to ask, because of course, a part of global girlhood and one thing that we touched upon a lot is like inclusivity. So how, like, what advice would you give other women on being more inclusive? So even in the information that they take on or not just talking about LGBT community, but also talking about like, like women across the world, like how, like what advice would you give um, other women who would want to, want to participate in our like feminism? I would definitely say there are ways to always be more inclusive mm -hmm. and Global Girlhood, I wish it was, but we don't currently have the funding to do this, is not currently compensated. We do compensate folks like our panelists, but our leaders do this out of passion for the work we're doing toward gender equity. And I would definitely say that that's one way to make work more inclusive is compensating people and paying them for their time and their labor and their energy mm. but in terms of 
inclusion in terms of our communities and social identities. I'm constantly learning how to be more inclusive. I think that's a lifelong journey. I think it entails educating yourself. And when you mess up, it's not being defensive. It's, which is sometimes a difficult thing to do for people, but it's saying, oh, thank you for letting me know. I will take that upon myself to be better and learn. And, you know, there are times that we as a team have gone through that in terms of making our content more accessible on our Instagram story, putting closed captioning, things along those lines. But it's also, I think what's so powerful about Global Girlhood is amplifying people's narratives and giving them the autonomy to tell their own narrative. And meaning that people are able to go into their own communities, like I said, identity or geographical based communities and interview women and gender expansive people in their own communities because I think so often the media and people from who, you know, are white, non-disabled, class privileged, um, go into communities that are not their own. And they mm -hmm. tell stories for people uh, when it's not their position to do so. And I think then we get into the whole conversation of saviorism, as well as just, you know, the history of the places we live in. Um, and the implications of that. And so I think it's just examining those narratives beyond our own lifetime and seeing how we fit into them and knowing that there are always ways to be more inclusive and passing the mic to other people. Um, you know, knowing that we all may speak or assign different languages, but we have so much to learn with and from each other. I think that's that's practicing inclusion to me. Um, and it's just like being aware of, you know, different identities we hold and different experiences we've had, um, you know, just because as like a queer person, you know, as a white queer person, my experience is totally different from siblings of mine. Um, and what I mean by siblings is not like blood related siblings, but um, people within the LGBTQ plus community who have had different experiences because of the way they look or the way they navigate this world. And I think it's just being aware of that, that like my, my narrative, yes, is my own narrative, but there are other or more people's narratives who should be uplifted or that should be uplifted and amplified and making space for that um, and advocating for that space and not like looking for reward or, um, or kind of like brownie points for saying certain things or doing certain things. Um, I know that was a very long response, <laughs> but it's something I probably overthink going back to the first question, but I'll, I'll pass the mic to you, Veronica. Yeah, but it was beautiful, it was beautifully said. Thank you, Grace. <laughs> and just to um, piggyback off of you, right? So I think fact checking is something that we are very keen with at um, at Global Girls. So sure. we have a new Slack channel. Um, that's like basically our mode of communication. So we have a, um, a channel that's just specifically for the social media content that we create. There, everyone um, you know is able to you know talk about the content that we're going to be putting out into the world. And of course, that's not including all opinions, right? Because like we only have so many people that are fact checking this. Even with like the content that we post on our social media, we realize that there may be some times that we're you know um, right. sharing information that may not be completely accurate. Uh, and so, you know, we realize that 
it's not best to just delete it, right? We actually keep our content there and talk about, okay, this is something that we've learned. Someone in our community commented about this and this is how we can go forward from here. So it's again about acknowledging yeah. your mistakes uh, and just being inclusive in that, in that sense. Um, right. Besides that, um, we're also really inclusive with who, um, when we're onboarding folks. So we don't only look for folks that are, you know, in a specific area or in um, a specific age range even. So, um, you know, there's people that are interested in our community and they want to help out. Uh, we actually had someone that was in like high school that wanted to help out. And we were like, okay, you know what, how can we create this space, you know, create a mentorship opportunity for her in, in our space. And so we're always thinking of ways that we can be inclusive and create that space that may not exist in another country, in another space. So those are just some ways that we're really trying to be as inclusive as we could be. Of course, there's always space for more. Yeah, that's something I definitely learned from you is that my immediate response was like to delete or archive posts where we may have said something that was not um, completely accurate. And I think that what we're learning together is how to practice accountability. And of course, we're always going to be learning this. You know, if we had a podcast a year from now, I'm sure we would have new things to say. Mm -hmm. But that's something I've learned so much from and with you is how, how you practice accountability in online spaces. That's awesome. So glad to hear that because I know, especially uh, during COVID, social media activism was taking a big role, I think, in people's lives. And so a lot of times people are putting out posts that weren't always completely factual. So I think it's really awesome that you guys are acknowledging that and also fact checking. Uh, and then another topic we've been thinking a lot lately about um, is about women stepping into their power in the professional workplace. Um, and so what we wanted to ask you guys was, how can we as women work towards asking for what men are not afraid to ask for, like equal pay or other sorts of benefits when you're negotiating for a job? Because I think this is something that not everybody is taught and, and women tend to be pushed to the side and don't quite understand how to do this. Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely having a mentor. Um, I think that really, really has helped guide me into like, you know, how I act at work. Sometimes I'll, you know, send out an email and I'm like overthinking it for like an hour and then I send it out and I'm like, oh shit, I could have said this better. And so I think just having someone there, not to fact check you, but more so just has like a sounding board to really talk about these conversations. Like, hey, like, am I just bugging out or was this like not okay to say to me, right? And I think as we're learning through this, it's it's hard for us to know what's right and wrong. And so just having that, you know, that um, for me, it was someone at work and she just left the firm, but um, we were still very close to each other. And, you know, I really consider her my mentor. Um, and I'm able to just really bounce off ideas off of her. Um, and I can use that as inspiration to just make sure that I'm also, like I learn from her and then I pass it on to others. So I think the key there is one, learning from others and accepting feedback, accepting, you know, there's things that you'll never know about. And then, you know, doing your responsibility to pass that on to others. So that's why like, you know, I'll have like these coffee chats that I have like every week for, you know, just like folks that are interested in learning about technology at Brook or whatever, and just providing that space for them to also learn. I'm just, I love learning. I love to learn. And then I also love to like preach, I guess. Um, I'm not always preaching what I'm learning, but you know, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> For sure. I, I think one thing that I've definitely learned with Pranjal, who's the founder and director of Global Girlhood, is not casually apologizing for things we need or for setting boundaries or for asking for more, because that's something I'm still learning is not casually apologizing. I do think that 
saris and genuine saris and accountability are needed in certain situations. But I do not think that women and non-binary people, gender expansive people should apologize for things that there's no apology needed for. And I think that's one step toward an equitable equitable spaces. Um, and I wanna say too, I'm currently a college student. So I've, I've had a couple jobs <laughs> in high school and in college, but I haven't necessarily entered a quote unquote professional workspace. But what I can imagine is questioning certain structures in place or challenging, you know, why is this this way? And do certain like policies or systems or procedures need to be abolished and re-envisioned and reimagined to, you know, foster that equity? Or is it possible to, you know, challenge it and have it changed? And I think that it's a matter of, you know, time and place and space and analyzing, you know, why, why do certain people feel um, more entitled to space than than other people and challenging that and not apologizing for taking up space, which I'm still learning to do. But that's what I would say. I feel like that's something, oh, no, go, go red. Sorry, I just want to add really quickly. It's also taking initiative at work. So like I've been mm -hmm. helping out a lot with our DNI events at work. So it's like talking about it as well. It's not just like slipping it under the rug, right? Like we're not, we're going to talk about it because mm -hmm. it's a problem. It needs to be addressed. And it's, you know, having those hard conversations, talking about it with my manager, um, that is just like another way again like you have to talk about it because it is a problem and that's like how we're going to address it you know we can't just say like oh we're hiring 50 percent. we have to be part of that um that piece that's actually creating the change and driving the change yeah uh, I, I want to say something oh go, no, gonna say it go ahead go ahead <laughs> um okay now i forgot so i think what i was gonna say is that um i think i read an article actually or i I was at a seminar and they talked about this, like why women weren't like climbing the ladder as much as we thought they would have. And one thing was I'm actually taking initiative and actually like going for product uh, projects and stuff. And I think like, especially for me and especially like with um, like I work in sales and I always have this feeling of being like an imposter in my job. Like I don't belong here. And just like this fear of like taking up space. Um, and sometimes it's so difficult to like, I don't know to feel like you do belong and that your voice should be heard um so yeah like that information and also like what you said about having a mentor like it's so important and i think that's what i love about global girlhood is that you have women there um they talk about their experiences and you get to learn from that and that's what's important you're able to like pass it on and pass on that education so we can keep climbing the ladder and i don't know just getting up there somewhere yeah, and I love that you mentioned that as well, Chanel, and almost to go back to what you guys were discussing pre to the answer to the previous question, um, just kind of connecting the obstacles that you faced to get to where you are both individually. Um, I know, Grace, you talked about being a part of the LGBTQ community, um, and then Radhika being a woman of color. Um, what obstacles do you think you've both experienced on your way up to where you are now, and how, how are you continuing to work through them? Mm. Well, I am a part of the LGBTQ plus community, and it has definitely been something I've navigated in spaces. Um, I'm also cisgender, so I think, you know, that that um, aspect of, you know, like I said, society, like e examining my own privileges and advantages and trying to dismantle those structures, but I am part of the LGBTQ plus community and 
it's definitely something that, you know, I've experienced homophobia within spaces I've been in. Um, and I, sometimes it, it is challenging to have conversations with people who hold views that are very harmful and hurtful directed directly toward me and my friends and people who are also part of the community. And this has to do more with my identity as a woman, but this is a story that happened to me maybe two weeks ago. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm an emergency medical technician. I'm, I'm an EMT. I responded during the COVID-19 pandemic. I have, you know, I was right there alongside people of all genders responding to this pandemic. And I was recently taking a EMT recertification class because every couple of years we need to take a certain number of classes, take a certain, um, take certain classes to renew our certification. And I was the only woman to my knowledge in the group um, at this class. And the instructor who was this older man, this older white man said something extremely overtly sexist. And he mm -hmm. goes, Grace, what do you think of this? Again, I'm the only woman in the group. And I say, I, I, think, it's, I think it's sexist. And, he got extremely defensive and I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't going to take any action. If he asked me about it, I would explain, right? I was willing to have a conversation, but instead all the men in the group laughed, right? And I think it's those moments where our identities or our social identities, whether that be, you know, or the intersections of them, those moments where our, you know, aspects of ourselves are, directly called out or even indirectly called out in the group um and you know it it can be uncomfortable but I think if people are willing to stand up for themselves that's great it doesn't mean they have to but I think it's you know diving into like why does this why does this instructor think it's okay to say these things mm -hmm. or you know and that goes for all different types of comments and I don't I don't say this to you know, necessarily pinpoint this one situation. But when you ask that question, it made me think of this, you know, one smaller interaction I had a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, I was I was thinking, you know, if you're saying that to me in a class, right, um, that, you know, I'm recertifying my EMT certification, then who else are you saying it to in all different contexts of your life? Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's challenging those narratives and those notions of people thinking they have the power, the position to say those things. And also questioning like, well, why do you, why do you hold these certain beliefs or these certain perspectives? Um, so that's what I would say, but I'll pass the mic to you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Grace. Um, I'm sorry that happened. Thanks for listening. Thank also, you. thank you for calling it out um grace and i were actually like walking in like um, greenwich village like three weeks ago and there was some guy that was on a bike and he was just recording people um without asking permission and i love grace for this because she went up she was like hey you need to like i mean i don't want to quote you but you can like say what you said but you basically like questioning like you need to ask for permission before you record people um and i think that's so admirable because like for me 
it's kind of like in the moment I'm like, well, like this is not okay. And I, I'm just, I'm more like, I'm, in, I'm shy in that sense. Like I won't really call someone out. Like I really do need to process it. I need to think about it, but thank you, Grace. Cause like, I feel like not a lot of people will do that. And mm-hmm. you know, you really advocate for yourself and advocate for others by saying that. Thanks. Yeah, thank no. you. Definitely something I've learned this past year and I'm going to credit my friend, Maya for this. Um, I don't know if they want me to say their full name, um, but I just want to credit them because, and I think they were basing this off of a tweet, but it was like, is it, is call out culture also accountability culture? Um, and I think with certain interactions, you know, it, it isn't, if it, if it puts someone in an unsafe or dangerous situation, it should not be upon them to necessarily call out or call in a situation. Um, but I think people should definitely analyze their, you know, their identities again. Like I was saying, it would be great if cis, white, non-disabled men called out more inequitable systems within all the spaces they're a part of. Um, and so I definitely think it shouldn't be placed upon people to, um, to directly call something out, but if something you know, if someone is able to like hold that person accountable or question something, I definitely think they should be empowered to do so. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you call it um, accountability culture instead of cancel culture, because I think like, especially for us um, in this space for our podcast, we always want to give people the chance to like voice their perspectives and learn. And so I think taking accountability is so much more important than just canceling somebody for making a mistake. And I think accountability, accountability really promotes learning and understanding and so I'm really gra- glad that you brought that up so to answer the question right so um for for me um I, I come from an Indian background so I was born in India and I came here when I was like three or four so I basically grew up in New York but it's always a struggle when talking about my career path um to my family um back home because like you know it's it's more like, okay, you graduated college now. What's like, you know, when are you getting married? And like, it's unfortunate that it's still a thing, right? Um, my parents fortunately are very, very um, open and they're like very, very honest with me and they they want to see me succeed in my you know career path. But it's always like that constant battle of like, you know, I don't, I want to talk about work. I want to talk about the things I'm passionate about. You know, you're, I'm not a little kid anymore. I'm not just someone that's, you know, needs to know how to cook you know I make a terrible chai like <laughs> I can't do shit but like I am really good at my job and I, I want to be known I want to be able to talk to my family members about that right and so I think that's something that I'm always constantly struggling with on um, how to communicate with my elders uh, and my family members because um, I'm not trying to disrespect them but I'm also you know I'm just we, we grow up di- we grew up differently um and besides that you know I'm a, I'm a person of color in fintech it's not easy there's really not a lot of people that look like me um, at work. I remember I was taking a COVID test for work and the, the COVID, like the person that was instructing the test was like, you're the first woman I've seen at Blackstone. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, and she's like, kudos to you, like you're here. And I'm like, wow. Um, and I just had to like take a step back and I was like, wow, like this is, that's insane. Um, so, you know, I, I know that like the place I'm at, you know, that itself has a lot of privilege that comes with it, but it's also, it's just sometimes like I have to create that space for myself. And I know that there's not a lot of people that look like me at work, but it's like, okay, I'm creating that space. And then, you know, someone can look up to me and, you know, also join me. So it's, it's constantly just knowing, like, sometimes I just feel like I don't belong. Do, you know, was this space created for me? Do I just 
deserve to be here. The only Farouk student, the only CUNY college student, non-Ivy person at work. So um, it's a constant struggle, but you know, I think um, I, I tell myself, you know, I have a space, this is my space to claim. I'm here for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> no, I think you're touching on such a good point. Like representation for me personally has mattered so much growing up. Like I've gone from watching like movies and shows and things that only had one select narrative of what a woman can do. And also like the type of woman that can do that thing. But I think for you, like working at Blackstone and being in FinTech, you know, there are little girls who probably see you going into the building and you're like, wow, I can do this. Or I can, you know, I can achieve something that seems so far away from me. So I, I think that's super admirable of you to be in a position that is probably uncomfortable for you, but you're doing it and you're being a badass at it too. So yeah. well then to you. all of you. <laughs> I'm badass at something. <laughs> I do want to ask a question that kind of like maybe a little disconnected or takes a different angle from that. Um, in that I think in the efforts to progress certain careers for women, we do tend to look down on certain um, identities that other women choose to claim. So one of the things that we were curious about is like, what are ways that we can uplift women who choose to still engage in roles that are not always career driven, like being a stay at home mom or just not being um, a working woman? Like how do we uplift them in the same ways? Yeah, no, that is literally the reason why I decided to be a part of Global Girlhood because my mom is a stay at home mom, right? And so, it was just like, how can I empower her? And how can I find out her story of empowerment? So um, in the beginning, like, you know, I was asking my mom, I was like, you know, how did you get here? What were like the things you struggled with? And from her, I learned like, there's so many things that she had to do. Um, you know, she came to New York. She was living, you know, with my dad, of course, but like, she, she, she just had to navigate in like a new country. You know, she didn't speak English. Um, so she had to like learn a lot about how to just navigate this new land. And I was just like, wow, that is just crazy. Like I could not imagine myself just going away, Paris, for instance, like in a you know, in a country where I do not speak their language. And it's like that's so, so crazy. And so just I mean, through global girlhood, I feel like we've been trying to create those stories and like pave like our way for those different types of empowerment. Because again, like empowerment does not look the same for someone here versus somewhere else. Um, so yeah, I, I, that was just like a beautiful question. Thank you for asking that. And like, I, I think it, it's so, so close to my heart because it's like, how do I make sure that my mom also feels empowered that she's not doing all of these XYZ things that I'm doing. She's still a badass woman at home, but she's still, you know, she's still doing it. <laughs> yeah. If I could just jump in for a second. I think another thing, reason that I was kind of like clinging to wanting to ask or just curious about it is because like I have always been like a slightly ashamed of my desire to be a mom and like how much I want that to be a part of my life and I think hearing you say that and just like exploring it more and more I think it is important to like harness that environment and harness women who want to be in that field of work because that is like a field of work in itself like raising children is not an easy job so I think that's something kudos to your mom go ahead and she raised you kudos to your mom Anita that was not an easy job <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it, it is really, <laughs> no, but I think it's really important. Um, I just I think it goes back to just making sure you're sharing everybody's narrative, right? Just because it's not your narrative doesn't mean it's any less than or any more mm -hmm. than. It's just a different story and everybody has their own path and their own route that they're taking in life. And we just have to stick together and support each other. Yeah. I also want to say about that question, that is a very um, important question to like unpack, I think. Um, but I do want to say in this, 
capitalistic society we live in, mm -hmm. we often are conditioned to think that our worth equates with our work. Mm -hmm. um, and your worth does not equate with your work. And thinking um, or the, the pathway to equating your work with your worth is a product of capitalism because we are all people, right? And we have feelings and emotions and experiences. And I think rather than defining ourselves by our work, we can also um, lean into those other aspects and of our of our lives and the communities and spaces we're a part of and challenging those narratives of you know our worth defines or our work defines our worth because it most certainly does not and you're you're so much more than the output or your productivity um that's something i would i would say and just also living in a world in which all people have the autonomy not only over their bodies but their choices and their decisions in life and who they are and their opportunities and so that's a world I envision is autonomy over all aspects of our lives um, but yeah just making sure that we have room for all those narratives and stories and people um, because like I said we all have so much to learn with and from each other so and thanks for sharing that that story, Radhika, or that, I guess, that perspective. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So our next question, like pretty much Grace, you hit the nail on the head. Like, it's like, where do you envision the future feminism? Um, what do you want to see? Like, how do you want little girls in the next like 20 years to look up to like the women we are? What I would say, and of course, I'm speaking from my own experience, mm -hmm. um, but I definitely want us to be at a point where we look back and we say representation was a tool, but it wasn't the solution. Mm. And so that's a world I envision um, is, yeah, everyone, like I mentioned before, everyone is able to have autonomy over their lives, their bodies, their decisions. And we're able to learn with and from each other, build a better, more equitable future. Um, that's that's the world I want to see. That's the feminism I want to see. I want to see everyone be a feminist. That was beautiful. Wow. Um, for me, it's really like, you know, just like seeing someone and not being like, wow, like she did that. You know, like it's not being surprised. There's no like wow, wow factor because there will be no wow factor because it's possible for us to do anything, right? If someone wants to go into bodybuilding, go for it, right? It's not going to be something that's like unique or it's like the only person. So I think that and I don't really have like, I guess like a direct um, vision. I just, I, I wanna be able to get to a place where I see someone, um, a woman of color, a woman in general, like, you know, whatever, like in a place and I'm not surprised by it, right? It doesn't feel like, wow, like they're the only person. I just want it to be, it's just community, right? There's power in, uh, power in numbers. And also I wanna say the quote from Feminism for the 99%, I wanna see that come to fruition. I want to see, you know, a world in which we read that and we say, oh, that's the world we currently live in. Um, but one more thing I want to add is I want to live in a world where people and particularly women who live at intersections of many identities can rest because mm -hmm. I think rest is so important. And in the world we live in, 
rest is unfortunately radical. <laughs> and I really hope we live in a world in which people can rest and reflect and have time to enjoy themselves and spend time with people they love. And that's the world I want to see and live in is, yeah, seeing people rest <laughs> and sleep and rest however that looks like for them. That sounds nice. I've people talk about siesta. And ever since I found out about that, I've been like craving to live in a country that has it. Girl, two yeah. two p.m. Mm, I'm out. <laughs> <2 p.m. laughs> but thank you so much to both of you for sharing those perspectives. I hope the world ends up like that. Um, maybe not in twenty years. Maybe it'll happen sooner. I hope. Um, but I'm really inspired by what you said. Uh, we do have one final question, and it's a question we've been asking all of our guests, not directly related to feminism or womanhood. Um, but the theme of our season for the podcast is growing pains, and so we're talking about what it's like to grow up, um, I don't know, leaving the safety of college, or if you are in college, just exploring the world as an adult, uh, or an adult, I put it in air quotes for anyone that can't see me. Um, but so I wanna know what excites each of you the most about growing up? I mean, if anything, there has to be something, I think. <laughs> for me, it's um, learning and unlearning. I think I'm constantly um, learning about why I was here, like why, like what is my purpose here? What am I trying to put out in the world? But I'm also constantly unlearning these, you know, um, Grace had mentioned this before, but just like taking rest. I, I think I did not take rest before. And so it's like unlearning how to be okay with not doing anything on a Sunday morning and just spending, you know, my time in bed watching Schitt's Creek, right? So it's um, a lot of unlearning in that sense. And I think what I'm really, really proud about my journey so far is just being able to rest, know when to say no, um, and just balancing between having friends, taking care of my family, um, and, and being multiple things. And it's okay to be multiple things, you know, be a daughter slash uh, sister slash person of color in, in fintech, all of those, you know, labels that I quote unquote will put on myself. Mm. That was beautiful. Thank you for that. <laughs> Oh, oh, I want to write that down, put it in my quote book, and put it on my wall or something. But um, I would say it's something I'm definitely, that has been a growing pain for me is being patient with myself. And I know my name is Grace, but giving myself grace. <laughs> I am incredibly hard on myself. And that's a product of, you know, many different things but I really hope I can get to a place and I'm not currently at that place where you know I I'm gentler with myself and I'm able to see kind of like the nuances of things you know things aren't just black and white um not all of life is on a binary and I want to get to a place where I can accept those things as just being meaning like nothing has to be like on one spectrum or the other there can be multiple things all at once and yeah, practicing more patience with myself is something I'm definitely working on and has been a growing pain, honestly. Yeah. Oh, it was absolutely amazing talking to you both. Like I felt like <laughs> I learned so much um, about this topic and also like, I'm definitely a follower of Global Girlhood. So I really wanted to have y'all on and I thought it would be perfect to talk about just feminism and what it is to be a woman in this time and age. 
Um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your stories with us. Yeah, it was really great. I just want to say I love both of your relationship, your friendship. I love all of the love that I'm feeling from you guys. It's so adorable. And like, <laughs> I want to be best friends with you guys too. <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> I mean, so this is something that we do at Global Girlhood, but you know, we can end this with appreciations. Ooh, yes, I like that. Your culture over. Yes. I love that. I love like that. Yes. yes. Uh, yes. I can start. Oh. <laughs> Go for it. Um, okay, I want to appreciate Anne Marie. Um, Anne Marie, I feel like we've. I you were like the first friend I made at Baruch. We were introduced to each other right before we started at Baruch, like the, the summer before. And I've just seen you grow so much, and um, I really, really appreciate you for really doing it all. Right? Like, I, I really like that you're able to have so many different passions in different areas. Um, and you, it, it, it inspires me that I can, you know, be interested in government, I can be interested in nonprofit work, I can be interested in fintech as well, and do it all. So I love that. And I want to appreciate you for having so many diverse passions. Oh, thanks, Rad. I love you. Oh. So do I do the next one? Is that how this goes? Okay. You can popcorn someone, yeah. Okay. Um, so I want to appreciate Chanel, um, because I love that Chanel lives her life fearlessly. And she never has any regrets. And that's something I definitely struggle with. I try to live without regrets, but I can't help but overthink and, and regret the past sometimes. But I think Chanel does a really, really good job of living in the moment and just doing things fearlessly. Um, and on top of it, she's an amazing friend, just like Anita, Radhika. And now I want to consider Grace a friend too, even though I don't know her that well, but she seems really cool. Um, and yeah, I, I really, really value that about Chanel. I think it's really amazing. And I think it's very hard to come by. Oh, you made me cry. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Uh, so I want to give appreciation to Grace. Uh, the fact that you were able to come here, like all of us, uh, Emery and Nita and Radhika, like we all know each other from school, but like you came here, you were completely transparent, honest, and you pretty, like you opened up to a bunch of strangers. I mean, you know Rad, but still. Um, and you were so authentic and genuine. So I really appreciate you coming here and sharing your story with us. Um, so yeah, it was amazing to have you. Thank you for sharing this space and for allowing me to, yeah, share my perspective. You all seem so cool. I would love to meet you all in person one day. <laughs> I'm so serious. I'm, I'm always down to meet people and I consider you all friends. I really enjoyed this conversation. I say that very genuinely. Um, I'm very excited to see the final product and share it and listen to it. Um, and yeah, just how receptive you all are. But I want to give my appreciation to Anita. Uh, first of all, I really learned so much during this past hour and 15 minutes for you <laughs> on this podcast and hearing your passages of wisdom and just your experiences. And I really appreciated how at the beginning you were talking about kind of like stepping into your voice and your identities and um I just think that's so beautiful and I would love to meet you one day and you know officially be friends with all of you in person so yeah thanks for having me on thank you and I I would like to appreciate if I can do two people Radhika and Grace um Radhika I want to appreciate you because you're like 
one of the most fearless women that I know. And you're also so giving with the things that you gain. I think last week we did the entrepreneurship thing that you invited me to do. You sent me a link to free episode on the free events um, for networking and just you're constantly giving of the opportunities that you receive your way. Um, so I'm grateful for you as a friend, as a networking colleague, whatever whatever umbrella you fall, you fall under numerous umbrellas for me. So I wanna appreciate you for that. Um, and Grace, I wanna appreciate you for being so um, accountable for everything that you say. Like Radhika said, you have an amazing vocabulary. Like you're able to express so many different things so fluidly and so confidently. Um, and I think we all feel so close to you, even though we barely know you just based off this discussion. So I'm very grateful that you were comfortable sharing your own story and your own identity with us so um, fluidly. Thank you for giving me this space, sharing this space. <laughs> I was I was listening to your podcast a little bit before. Um, it's really cool how you all kind of collaborate on it. I think that's really special. Oh, thank you. Sometimes you feel like we don't know what we're talking about. I'm Anne Marie. I'm Anita. I'm Chanel. I'm Grace. I'm Radhika. And we're the girls. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like this. Yeah.